Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, whatever. Welcome back to Author News Weekly. We read the news so you don't have to, and then we chew it up and we digest it, and it's amazing. I'm Ari McGee. Let me enter. This is going swimmingly. Let me introduce you guys to the panel. I've been watching a lot of Harry Potter, so I think I know what house you guys are all in. I'm going to introduce first and foremost our resident Gryffindor, who is definitely Jim Heskett. All right, really, Jim? Okay. Yes, you're Gryffindor, right? Trust me, I could get into it for a long time, but don't just take it. Take the out. Take the W. Well, <laughs> thanks for having me. I'm Jim Heskett, apparently House Gryffindor. That's Woo. right. Our resident Ravenclaw, I'm going to have to say, is Miss Pippa Warner. All right. I was sure that after the background and the, the finger tapping, I was going to be the Slytherin, but no, okay, here we go. It, if I you had, remember. yeah, if we were on Zoom, you would probably be Slytherin <laughs> if I saw that. All right. Which brings us. Last and not least, to our resident Hufflepuff, who is Mr. Nick Thacker. God. I don't even know what you're talking about with this hairy thing, but I know that that's not the thing I want to be in. <laughs> you don't it's want to be a badger? Hufflepuffs are badgers. Don't even understand. You yes. don't want to fuck with badgers. Yeah, your commander was a Hufflepuff. There you go. There you go. See? I think he's Googling Hufflepuff right now. <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, there, I learned the hard way. There's things that you should Google and think you shouldn't Google. And this definitely rings as one of the ones I'm not going to Google. There might be some bad SEO that's going to corrupt your computer. So, all right, guys. Well, in any event, unless you guys have something to add to my wonderful sorting hat characterization <laughs> of you all, let's take a second and get into uh, the news. And thus we ruined our streak. I know. I know. You did good. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. It was so close. I had to click through like 800 different windows over here in order to find it. And then I pressed it and it didn't work. But I pressed the play button really quickly because I got fingers of fire. Attaboy. Attaboy. Good stuff. I like it, guys. I like it. All right. First off, a story that seems a little common that we're seeing coming out of the Disney camp. And that is from Gizmodo. And the report is Disney is only paying comics creators $5,000 for the work it's adapted for billions. It says Marvel and other studios are once again under fire for paying comics creators a pittance for their work. Wow. You know, I'm kind of reading through this. We've seen this from scripts and from books that get adapted. But now it looks like the people who are making comics that end up on the big screen are also kind of getting hosed. You know, down in here, they talk about Ed Brubaker not getting a lot of money for basically reinventing their Winter Soldier and making him the template that they use in all the, the you know, the comics and the, the movies and stuff now. What do you guys think? You guys big into comics? Does this hurt your soul the way this hurts my soul? Not really big into comics, but, you know, I need more information. I feel like if you paid every single person $5,000 who is involved somehow in some way with, you know, writing or drawing or illustrating or whatever at all with one of these properties, 
um, you'd be spending a lot of $5,000 checks. So I think what this reads to me, and again, I'm totally reading between the lines here. I could be wrong, but it says this, this is their standard approach. So it's just like, just give everybody that you can think of 5,000 bucks because we don't want to get sued. And then there's probably colorists and artists who have been more involved that have separate deals. You know, maybe they get paid 10,000, 15,000 or whatever. I don't know. I don't know that I hate this, but it is Disney. So I hate this. Mm. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Peppa? I don't think you get a multi-billion dollar entertainment franchise without screwing some people over mm-hmm. on the way. Mm-hmm. So the fact that it rakes in as much money as it does says to me that they've grabbed some ideas and kind of run with them. And it's probably all entirely legal. I'll just rest on the whole, you don't get multiple billions of dollars without screwing some people over along the way. Well, you know, and for an industry, I'm sorry, Peppa, I thought you were done. Oh, no, go for it. For an industry that keeps claiming that they're out of good ideas, they sure don't seem willing to pay for good ones, you know, pay for new ones. This is just like the publishing industry. It's just like every industry where one side has all the power and the other side doesn't, that the side without the power is supposed to feel lucky for getting a smile from the side with the power. And now Mm -hmm. I understand the big push over the last decade or so, or maybe even two decades, I don't know, towards... I can't remember the phrase. Is it creator-owned comics? Yes. Like Image, yeah, like yeah. Walking Dead guy, Robert Kirkman, all of his stuff mm-hmm. is all creator-owned. Like, I didn't know why that was such a big deal before, but I understand now. I'm sure Robert Kirkman got more than five grand for The Walking Dead. Yeah, he got paid. Be- the typical way that comic people work is they, like, you work for Marvel, but you are essentially a contractor for them. So you come up with, like, the next Spider-Man, And they go, hey, awesome, that's ours now, and you don't have anything to say about that. And so, like Pippa said, it's legal. Like, it's legal if it's ethical or not, you know, that's a different story, you know. And as someone who ultimately would love to be writing comic books uh, at some point in the future, there's no way I would pitch my stuff to Marvel or DC. You know what I mean? Like, it would be preposterous, you know, when you could go to Image and they would help you put your work out there and not own the IP, you know? That's the reason but, why Kirkman did so well with Walking Dead, you know? Well, and that's fair because that's a completely different, like those characters are his own of his own creation. You're mm-hmm. pitching Marvel um, and you're writing a Spider-Man comic book. Like that's the only place you can go to pitch that, right? So like if you wanted to write a Spider-Man comic, like... No, this- I, I mean, I would pitch Marvel because Marvel will take your idea. Right. Okay. So you're talking about a new property that you. Yes. Well, but still, right. I mean, exactly. And while exactly. the original creator of the IP should absolutely get something, I mean, it's kind of like that legendary internet story of the person who gave her daughter-in-law yarn and got back a giant blanket and was deeply insulted. And people were like, "Well, yeah, but she spent hundreds of hours mm. making this blanket." Like, on the one hand, yes, it's their IP. On the other hand, you did do the work. <laughs> Which is like a sticky wicket, right? Like, so specifically, like Ed Brubaker, you know, Bucky is the Winter Soldier, right? Mm-hmm. And Bucky was invented in the 30s, right? Him and Captain America were punching Hitler on the front of a comic book in the 30s. But he was largely unused until he was repurposed and turned into like a mainstream kind of character. And so then it's like, like you said, Marvel gave him the yarn, but he knitted that shit, you know? And so. It's just tough. Like, I understand they own it and all that makes perfect sense, but it's hard out there for a pimp. You know what I'm saying? Trying to do the creativity. <laughs> makes like money that. for some rent. <laughs> yeah. It's good. I don't know a lot about that whole industry, the comic stuff. You know, I watch the movies, I consume, 
Um, and then I go write my Harvey Bennett books. So mm. somebody wants to write a comic book out of my Harvey Bennett stuff, then maybe we'll yeah. talk and give you 5,000 bucks. If you, <laughs> if you start having Harvey Bennett throwing like Mjolnir, like Thor, then I guess we'll see how copyright works out, you know? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know how copyright's gonna work out. Like I, I, I don't. I wouldn't. I think Disney handles copyright kind of with the Guido and Luigi associates, and you wind up in a ditch somewhere. <laughs> no offense to Italians, we don't think you're all leg breakers. Just some of you. Okay, moving on. We are gonna go to someone who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, and that's Dolly Parton. I think Dolly Parton <laughs> is amazing. I really do. I think she's an amazing person based on what she's created in her life. And now she is going to be publishing her first novel in 2022. This is from The Guardian. Shout out to Nick Thacker. The country music superstar has teamed up with the novelist James Patterson to write Run, Rose, Run, which will be published in March. The singer, best known for her country pop hits, has written her first novel. It's going to be published by Penguin Random House. It's about a young woman who moves to Nashville to pursue her music-making dreams. It's co-written with James Patterson. Uh, So my question to you guys is, who's actually writing this book? One of James Patterson's (laughs) ghostwriters. Right. Exactly. I I don't think he writes a lot um, as much anymore, right? I mean, I've taken his master class, which I do highly recommend. He's Mm -hmm. got a lot of really great information and, and stuff there. Clearly wisdom on the industry, and he knows how to do it right. Essentially, to me, he implies that he writes outlines and he has co-writers that write prose. However, unlike ghostwriting, he puts that person's name on the cover with his name. And so I'm interested too to see is it which one of these people is going to be on the cover. I'm sure both of them will be, but which, which one of them is actually the author behind this thing? Mm. Or is it completely ghostwritten? Well, what I think is interesting is that I wonder if James Patterson has gotten like a different manager or something in the last few years because he's really the way he's branched out, like writing two books with Bill Clinton, you know, whether you love Bill Clinton or you hate Bill Clinton, you heard about that book, (laughs) you know, like everybody heard about that book. And I follow James Patterson on Facebook. And so he was posting about all these Bill Clinton books and I would go read through the comments, you know, and there'd be exactly 49% of the comments would say, I'm never reading another James Patterson book again. You're teaming up with the devil. I wonder how many of those people will see this and go, Ooh, I like Dolly Parton. And then yeah. go ahead and buy it. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know. It seems like it's marketing teaming up with these big names. Yeah, right on, right on. I think we call that smarketing. Marketing. That's a good one. Somebody should write that down. Smarketing. <laughs> smarketing. <laughs> Smarketing.com. <laughs> yeah, so right on. So, you know what? Good for James Patterson. I don't much care who he writes with and stuff. You know, I'm happy for anyone who seems to crack the code. And kind of maybe make a little bit of a blueprint for me to to steal from. So um, as soon good as for him. Good British author. I'm out. What? As soon as he writes with a British author, I'm out. Oh yeah. Done. Absolutely. Obviously. Done. We won't look too hard at his co-writers because uh, the murder house feels pretty British to me. So I'm afraid I don't want to pop your bubble. So let's just move on and pretend like that didn't happen. All right. Next story that we've got here. All right. Now this is kind of a weird question, but I see it pop up often and author groups and stuff like that, I think you guys are going to be able to kind of have a really good take on this. And it's from uh, JanieBurton.com. And she's answering the question of, will a traditional publisher republish my self-published book? It's a lot of publishing in that title. 
So I guess she says it. One of the most common questions she's asked is whether it's possible to get a trad deal for a book that's already previously self-published. What is your guys's take on that? Jim, you look very serious about this topic. <laughs> you just probably just saw me shaking my head. I mean, yeah. let me answer the question. Will the traditional publisher republish my self-published book? Almost certainly not. You know, I've been in the publishing industry for six, seven years, and it's happened twice, I think, as far as I know. It happened with Hugh Howey, and it happened with Mark Dawson. But Hugh Howey, he only had a print deal. And I think Dawson only had a print deal, too, right? I think Dawson yeah. just had a hardback deal. with Weir as well? Andy Weir, yeah, he did it as well. And yeah, Fifty Shades I, of Grey, to be fair. Yeah, okay. I think it's That's, the way I've heard it described is that it's the double bind, right? You have to show them that you're going to make enough sales for them. But if you're showing them that, you've probably already made so many sales that they're going to assume your market's tapped. And for most people, that will, in fact, be true. It yeah, won't be true if it's Fifty Shades of Grey, but... <laughs> yeah, and then switching, like, selling hardback rights or foreign rights, like the article mentioned, that's really your best bet because... Yeah. You're not going to resell your ebook rights. Like Andy Weir, he was even an extra outlier because before he even published it, he gave away the whole thing for free on his blog. Yeah. And then he only made money because he didn't know how to perma free a book. He talked about, he was like, he put it up for 99 cents because he didn't know how to do it perma free. He was going to perma free it. If he had, he probably wouldn't have had a movie starring Matt Damon, but he got rich on a 99 cent book. It would have been Steven Seagal instead, wouldn't it? <laughs> or it'll be Nicolas Cage. That's the thing about between private saving Private Ryan, Interstellar, and The Martian. America has spent so much money retrieving Matt Damon from places. <laughs> no, I know. Like maybe we ought to just think like he deserves to be where he is. Like, put a GPS tracker on the guy or something <laughs> next time. Someone put a bell on that guy. <laughs> we, we can talk about whatever we want, but I really want to go back to Nicolas Cage starring in The Martian because I think that would be. Well, tell me, what does Nick Cage do differently than Matt Damon inside the bio? Am I stuck on Mars right now? How's that? Is that pretty good? <laughs> I like it. I like it. Good time. So kind of to answer this and to wrap this up, you know, it's a possible thing to do. It happens in, very infrequently. And really, if you're killing the game, selling your books, you probably don't want to give up a big chunk to someone unless they dangle something awesome in front of you. And uh, if you're doing that well, I'm sure you can figure out someone to ask. Email us. We'll be your four-headed advisor board and tell you whether you should sell to Penguin Random House or whoever. And never hang your hopes on becoming an outlier. No. Don't do it. You are average in every way. <laughs> we are here to Embrace give you the inspiring it. message today that you are not special. Embrace your mediocrity. That's right. And beat them into submission with it. All right. <laughs> so our next story here. I know this might be near and dear to Jim's heart. The Ultimate Guide. Uh, it's, it's from Ally, the Alliance of Independent Authors. We've talked about them before. It's the Ultimate Guide to Winning Book Awards, Tips and Tools. So we get down in here. It says, what kind of book wins an award? So here's what it takes to win. And then they give you some things, right? Read the submission requirements carefully. Have your book edited and proofread by someone with experience. You know, all this kind of stuff. Do you guys think that there are some decent tips in here about maybe not just getting your book ready for an award, but maybe just kind of in general, you know? It's more that it's so basic that if you want to win an award, don't include every detail, such as how your character likes their eggs. Like, okay, well, this is really writing advice at this point. I was hoping for something slightly more granular on the, like, 
okay, here's a list of books and here are things to consider about some awards have publishing requirements that run a half year or calendar year. But mostly what I took away from this was a joyful giggle because of this rule against self-published books comes from the Booker Prize and it would dignify the Booker Prize to remove it. And the first time a self-published book wins the Booker Prize, it is going to be hilarious. There are going to be so many trad tears and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Because I think it will happen at some time, some point, right? Sure. The requirement at some point a self-published book will win it. There will be many pathetic op-eds about the death of literature and yeah, but it's not going to be one of our books. It's going to be like Hillary yeah. Mantel will decide to self-publish or Margaret Atwood will decide to self-publish. Mm-hmm. And they're going to win one for that. And oh, it'll yeah. be like the transition to make the literary puppies not so happy, not so angry mm. about it. And yeah. honestly, if one of us won the Booker Prize, it would go against our show policy of intense mediocrity. And I don't think we, <laughs> I don't think any of us are ready for that, really. You have to lead the show if you win a board like that. <laughs> I agree. (laughs) What are you doing here? (laughs) So moving past the things that they say that are just kind of general, which I didn't really find any help in. They have something down here that's called what sets the winning books apart. Now, in my opinion, this might set your book apart if you are trying to write something that is award bait. But if you write some of these things As a regular author who's trying to make money, some of these things might bite you a little bit, right? Like uh, entries that make the shortlist don't focus on what happened or to whom, but they leave the reader with a new knowledge of deep social, psychological, or spiritual truths. And the next thing is like transcend your genre, right? Don't stick to one mode of literature. So I think that there might be some people that are reading these things and think, that's the best way to do this. Like, let me write some transcendational thing about my religious and spiritual vibes and stuff. And you might not be writing something that sells great for commercial. I'm not hating on you. I'm just putting that out there as an aside. I mean, Nick, do you transcend your genre when you write? I do. I'm so transcendent. <laughs> I transcended all the way to the top of the ranks on my genre. Yeah, I really have a problem with this sentence. A significant sign of mastery is when an author can seamlessly join diverse influences within a single unified composition. This is just woke speak 101, but there's nothing here that tells me anything useful about writing a book. Sorry, and I have nothing against this cultural phenomenon that we're in right now where we have to make everything social and everything activism. It's great. You guys go on and do that. But if you want to write a book that people read, don't do any of this shit. Transcend your genre is advice from that school of the people who believe like, oh, readers are sick of vampire novels. Readers are sick of shifter novels. They're sick of whatever. And they're not. Readers are never sick of that stuff. Vampire novels will be popular, I don't know, for decades. But that's what people in publishing do. They want the next thing. So they say, we're not going to do vampire novels. This year, it's, I don't know, werebear novels or whatever. But transcending your genre in general is really bad advice. I do like the term award bait, by the way. Mm Oh, that's what it is. There's movies that are award bait. There's books that are award bait. Right. It's like, oh, it's a story about a pianist in war-torn Poland. Like, this is the kind of thing that they want an award for. But it's good. It was good. But, you know. It took Leo DiCaprio to not use chapstick for, like, 15 weeks in order to win an award. Like, that's Mm -hmm. not something I want to subject myself to. So, (laughs) 
You know, I mean, like, dude had sex with a bear. Give him the award. <laughs> <laughs> it was very forced. I think it was mutual. <laughs> I, I was watching it like I'm very uncomfortable right now. But uh, FYI, the Revenant novel is a very good book. The yes, book I that movie's that. based on very good. It's loosely based on a true story, isn't it? Is that right? It's, yeah, it's a story of every like Canadian man ever, right? <laughs> That's just, you know, a normal day going to the store to get bread. Day in, in the life of a Canadian. I got eggs and poutine and uh, mold again. <laughs> Third time this month. All right. In any of it. Hold out, eh? <laughs> All right. Love the Italians and the Canadians now. And the Brits. So, you know, if you read this, take some of it with a grain of salt. Like, Everyone has said you might not be better off transcending everything because this is often where we have people that say they have a hard time finding an audience when they transcend and mix too many things. But hey, you know, buyer beware, do your thing. If that's what you want to do, go for it. Just don't come crying to us. All right. So we got a couple follow ups here for you guys. I want to try to circle back to some of the stories that we talk about to put a little bit more of a resolution on them. So. This Goodreads extortion scam, we've talked about twice, and now Time Magazine is talking about it. First off, I didn't realize it was that big of a deal that Time needed to talk about it. But secondly, there are some strange characterizations of Goodreads in this Time article. Did you guys notice that? Like, I don't want to tip my hand, but did you guys notice what is kind of weird in here? I don't know how many actual indie authors they talked to about this. Because their ideal of how important Goodreads is to like our atmosphere is very strange. They're like, it's the Facebook of booking, you know, (laughs) and I'm pretty sure that like our general consensus between the four of us who have a lot of books, like have sold a lot of books is like nobody cares about Goodreads. So like Moss Eisley of a never a worse like hive of villainy. (laughs) You know what I mean? Wretched hive of scum and villainy. Yeah, exactly. So like. Am I just missing the boat? Is it that important, guys? I don't think so. I think newer authors tend to care more about it because they're told that they need to care more about it. I did a webinar with um, Alessandra Torre. I mean, I attended a webinar of hers where she was talking about Goodreads and and how to use it to your advantage because I didn't know anything about it, really. Like, I didn't know actually, hey, are people really using this? And she had some really good information in there, but I didn't get the impression that it was information that was going to help me make my book more successful. It was information on how to do things in Goodreads, you know, how to reach out to other authors and how to find readers for your book and how to do giveaways and things like that. It was more of a, of a technical kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so super helpful information, but I didn't get the impression that I should drop everything and run to Goodreads and upload all my books and make sure all the covers are up to date and, and all that stuff. And so, like usual, I chose the path of least resistance and did absolutely nothing. Mm, mm. So I can't say that Goodreads has been helpful for my career, but mm. to be fair, <laughs> I haven't done anything with it. Well, like specifically, they say the Atlantic reported that, quote, when all is said and done in the world of books, Goodreads is just about as influential as Facebook. That's just not true. Whoever's reading this is going to really get the wrong idea about Goodreads' place in the solar system, right? Maybe it is more so for traditional authors, maybe just not for us. I mean, I don't know. I look at Goodreads kind of like Insta. I mean, I'm on there, 
and I look at it from time to time and I know if I put effort into it, I could get some kind of result, but I just really don't want to mm. like my Instagram strategy is posting whenever I feel like it. It's not doing anything for me and that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. This is the larger point. You don't have to hustle all the hustles. Just say thank it. you. Thank you. <laughs> tell them, t say it again, Pippa, tell them. Tell you don't have to hustle all the hustles. Not all of them. Yeah. Straight from Pippa, the inventor of BookBook. Book, the next, <laughs> book, the next uh, book social media platform coming to you soon. With It's be made with smarketing. There's a lot of smarketing to get BookBook book to market. Oh, I love it. I love it. Good times. Well, maybe the last little quote here kind of sums it up. And it says that the publishing industry views Goodreads as a necessary evil. And maybe it kind of is, right? People got to have a place where they think they can go and talk about us, <laughs> talk bad about us. So just the last thing to uh, kind of wrap up before we get out of here for the day. If you guys remember a while back, we had a conversation about young John Steinbeck's unpublished werewolf novel. I was excited, but the general consensus was at some point they'll probably publish it and make some cheddar which still might be true, but as for right now, the people who own the rights and his family say they don't want to publish it because they are worried that it will sully his legacies. This is from NPR, and the big headline is, a young John Steinbeck's unpublished werewolf novel isn't going to print. So I'm sad about that. I don't mind sharing my emotions with you guys. <laughs> I have a very dulled emotional response to this. Just dull and shallow not a whole lot of emotions to share around this nick right. how are you feeling duller and emotionalister you I'm know what processing 2019 it's about to be 2022 like i i don't have much bandwidth for that's fine well you know what, what? don't worry i'm upset enough for all of you guys is what's the point like this costs npr money to tell us this you know a thousand word article like what's their point why are they telling us this to hurt my feelings, dude. You know what it is? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Didn't I tell you I was emotional about this? Office of RA's feelings at NPR. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm upset, man. Freaking NPR bastards. All right. Well, in any event, guys, I think that's all of our stories for the week. It looks like we have a good time. You guys uh, got anything that you want to add to the show this week? Add or subtract? Nope. Yeah, yeah. Subtract. Is there anything you want to take back? <laughs> No? All right, very good. Never. All right, guys. <laughs> Never. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. For all of us at Author News Weekly, I'm R.M. McGee saying this meeting is over. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>